0: happy tuesday everyone welcome to the rabbit show i am super excited for today's show and we've seen a huge massive crowd RSVPing about the show today uh since we'll be hosting an exceptional guest today salma bakok co-founder and ceo of Siflet, we'll be discussing about data quality full data, full data stack observability data-driven culture and much more so do not hesitate to ask questions since we are open to questions, insights and anything that you might have for Salma. Also, we are, as always, we are doing a very cool giveaway, which is a cool swag by Siflet. So, don't hesitate to type in hashtag Siflet in the chat to enter the raffle and we'll be announcing the winners in intervals. Maybe after the first 10 minutes, we'll be announcing the first winner after 20 minutes, the second winner. And like that we can go on but just to give you again a very quick insight into what you need to type is this hashtag siflet in the chat so you'll enter the raffle automatically and with this cool raffle we will be able to actually go out there and choose winners so don't hesitate go around and let's get the pod rolling now I am super excited, as I mentioned, the theme of the show is Full Data Stack Observability Platform from Firefighting to Fire Prevention, and I can't wait to learn more about it. So without any further ado, let's uh, welcome Salma up here. Hey, Salma, welcome to The Rabbit Show. How are you?
1: Hi,
2: I'm very good. How are you?
0: I'm very well. This was much awaited, and I'm super excited to have you on the show, and uh obviously, can't wait to learn more about the uh, full, full data stack for observability. It's a mouthful. Yeah. And then <laughs> uh, uh, obviously with Siflet, you've been uh, like Siflet is all out there and we can't wait to learn more about it. But for our audience, why not start with your introduction and also tell us how is Siflet found in uh, the journey behind that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me, uh, Ravit. I'm a big fan of the show and I'm super excited to be here. Um, so my name is Salma, as you said. I'm a CEO and co-founder of a company called Sifle. Um, I personally um, grew up in Paris, uh, have an engineering degree, applied maths and statistics. Um, and then I moved to Asia. I started my career there about seven, eight years ago. Um, I joined a U.S. company, uh, a U.S. bank, actually, as, a, as an analyst in the equity sales trading division. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I kind of started my career in a very high-paced, high-demand, um, you know, kind of environment, uh, which I really enjoyed. I really loved. Um, and obviously, you know, financial services and especially um, the trading floor is a very data-intensive uh, environment. And so we were constantly leveraging data for, you know, real time and near real time decision making um, and trying to make sense uh, of, you know, market trends and try to translate that into trade ideas and and things that made sense for the bank and for, um, you know, as clients, as far as investment strategies go. Um, And and obviously, uh, I've had a first row seat to everything that can go wrong as far as, as data quality or lack thereof. Um, goes and, and that's what uh, inspired me uh, to start C so uh, right before I joined C I led a, a couple of key initiatives for uh, the company that I used to work at um, in trying to make the um, the, the division more uh, data-driven and, and try to um, leverage uh, you know insights into day-to-day decision making and improve operational um, you know um, or business operations in general um, so you know, as as, a, as any large company, obviously, we invested a lot of money in infrastructure and technology. Uh, we right. had, you know, the most modern, trendy tools. And, um, you know, without citing names or logos, we were we had a super modern data stack. Um, yep. that said, um, you know, there, there was really nothing that could help us get ahead of data quality issues. And even though, we had a really smart team of very talented engineers. Um, you know, you can only get much done by implementing testing um, and and basic data profiling and whatnot and anomaly detection. Um, and I realized that, you know, really if you don't have something that can help you get ahead of data catastrophes and, and be proactive around data quality and data reliability, um, then you can't really do much uh, with the data. So it doesn't matter how much you invest in the data infrastructure and the the use cases. Um, So I started c about two years ago. Um, I've known my two co-founders for a decade. We met uh, in engineering school. Um, Then they went on to spend the good part of their careers working for tech companies, Uber, Amazon, um, and some other big companies. Um, and, uh, both of them have, you know, pure software and and data engineering skills. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, the three of us saw and lived the pain actually from both the data engineering and the, and the data consumer side of things. Um, and we wanted a tool that could not only tell, um, you know, data practitioners when something breaks. Um, but involve both personas around their reliability and and give both of them the kind of insights they need to uh, ensure the reliability of the assets that they both use day in, day out. Um, So that's that's kind of an introduction.
0: Okay, that's pretty cool. And uh, very nice in terms of uh, just in two years, I think you've done so much. And um, so much in terms of... uh, going out there and making a mark in the data observability world but uh, to you know before we j- jump right in obviously i have some a little curious questions around uh you know the data engineering space and how do you see the data engineering space evolve over the last few years and where do you see in the next few years just kind of want to take that idea because I know for a fact where data observability plays a very important role for those who are data engineers out there. So yeah, yeah. I just to take your thoughts on that.
2: Absolutely. Oh my gosh, the data engineering space, I think we're going to need a whole session dedicated just to this question um, because, you know, there's a lot of things and a lot of trends that have emerged over the past decade and, and trends that will continue to emerge to shape uh, the present and the future um, of data engineering. But I guess if I... You know, um, if I want to make some takeaways from my vantage points and from the things that I've seen, you know, working for some pretty large organizations, um, to uh, today building Cifley and working with, you know, organizations from, you know, kind of late stage tech scale ups to large multinational organizations. So I've kind right. of seen, you know, all sorts of um, data maturity level, data team sizes, uh, technology choices, etc. That I can. I guess at least give from my vantage point um, what I what I feel has shaped the, the data engineering space. I think if we if we make a zoom um, over the past decade, I think a lot of um, what shaped the role and the responsibilities for a data engineer, and as a consequence, what also influenced you know what today are the sought after skills when hiring for a data engineer. I think it was largely driven by the whole revolution that took place in the data infrastructure and tooling space. So if we look, you know, um at what happened, you know, at in you know, at the beginning of the decade, like people were still trying to like data integration was a big problem. Moving data from right. point A to point B was requiring a lot of like a very heavy skill set it was a very manual process it was very error-prone um, and you know often uh, you know the engineers were required to write you know endless lines of, of code and and manual script and 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 cool. getting through multiple API endpoints to be able to move data from a CRM to a data warehouse um, and I and I think um, the fact that over the past few years we've seen you know uh, uh, like a a plethora of new technologies emerging in the space and a plethora of hosted services um, that allowed uh, you know to automate a lot of those processes that were very manual and very uh, time consuming for data engineers Um, and so we moved from I guess needing a data engineer to have software engineering skills uh, to be able to you know, build the integration layer from scratch and, and build, you know, the pipelines and whatnot um, to um, having another um, type of skills that today are required, like, you know, where the focus can be shifted more towards data modeling, data transformation, data wrangling, etc. So that's why I would call I, I guess, you know, the early years of the decade, I would, I would call them, you know, the, like the data engineer was more of a data infrastructure builder. Um, fast forward to, I say, the past uh, five years where you know data warehouses like Snowflake revolutionized the way people uh, store their data, made it accessible from a cost perspective, uh, made a lot of things more automated, um, where the data engineer is less required to have heavy software engineering skills and 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 um, and 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 needing to manually write scripts and write code for a lot of things, um, to have the focus more shifted towards optimization, uh, maintenance of the platform, um, and, and focusing on the transformation layer and focusing on the modeling layer, etc. Fast forward to today, uh, where the the most part of what's now is called the modern data stack is automated, fully managed. Um, there's dozens of vendors in each compartment. Uh, there's a lot of mature solutions in each compartment. Um, and I feel like now um, the focus for data engineers maybe is less uh, on infrastructure building and infrastructure maintenance as it was in the past decade. Um, now the focus is more on reliability, speed, real-time use cases, um, making sure that the platform allows for self-serve that even the least technical users can be autonomous around data um, that both the data and the data infrastructure infrastructure sorry can be democratized right. um, etc and I think we will continue on this trend for the next few years um, where uh, you know we'll see a lot of focus going towards data quality. Um, data uh, democratization, decentralization of the data assets and the data infrastructure, et cetera, that echoes a lot what we see also in terms of technologies and companies emerging um, in the space of, of data infrastructure in general.
0: Okay. So it's are just pretty...
2: to try to be as uh, as you know as concise as possible, but we can go about this topic for hours.
0: Forever, yeah, I know for a fact, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to you know pick your brain in terms of how you've seen the space evolving and coming from a place where you mentioned, obviously, where writing the codes back then used to be like. So much of work for the engineers out there, but now things have kind of eased up for them when the tools are there. There's modern data stack where there are tons yeah. of you know obviously uh, tools out there which could be used. But since you brought up something which is kind of interesting, and I always ask a lot of guests on my show, which is about the modern data stack, and it's a uh, it's it's a question which has like uh, obviously varied answers according to the guest, but what do you think is an ideal modern data stack? Like, what what would you say is like, this is the ideal modern data stack? Does it exist uh, or there's uh, it's according to the needs of the clients that they prefer to make it, you know, modern? So what's your take yeah. on that?
2: Again, such a wonderful and loaded question, uh, Ravit. Um, I just want to add something quickly on what I said earlier about, you know, like the building versus the maintenance versus the, you know, the stage where the focus of the data engineer is more shifted towards reliability, speed, and and self-serve. Yeah. Um, I think you can still today find, you know, those stages or a mix of those stages depending on the, on the company maturity and, and industry. Um, right. You know, I, I see a lot of, of examples where, you know some very early stage startups um, that start to double down with operational analytics use cases and it doesn't make sense for them to go and uh, you know invest in a full brand new fancy data stack from the get-go they just need the basic tools to get by and and more often than not they go and hire a data engineer that is full stack around the data you know somebody with you know some software engineering knowledge, somebody who can, you know, write code, somebody who's, you know, good at SQL, and somebody who can also get a bit of understanding of the business. Um, and, um, and, and, And at those stages of maturity, there's still a lot of manual work that is done to an extent because it reflects the stage of maturity of the organization. If your main analytics use case is reporting for the board, that you don't need to go and invest in a fancy bi tool or something like that you know what i mean like more often yeah. than not you can get by with excel and, and and some basic uh you know uh automation um so it really depends on the stage of maturity of the organization uh, now back to your question about um what is a perfect stack and what is a tool that is essential to have and etc again really depends on the stage of maturity um yep and really depends on the industry. Some industries and some uh, businesses, just by the nature of their operations, would reach uh, what I call data maturity much faster than yep. others, right? Some businesses really from the get-go, they start collecting humongous amounts of data and they and they process them in almost real time. And um, business operations are really reliant on that data being available, accessible, and visible to a large group of people. Um, And so even at very early stages of the maturity of the organization itself, um, the the, the data maturity can be, can be achieved. Um, Now, you know, and obviously there are some other, you know, large organizations that have been around for decades and maybe, or almost certainly have some legacy infrastructure in place. Um, They've been on premise, they're migrating to the cloud, um, they have some use cases that are still on-premise, some other use cases that are still on the cloud. So there's really no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to having the data stack um, or what when it comes to what tools you need in data stack. I think, you know, we can all agree that, you know, if you follow the value chain of the data within the organization, so from the raw data that you collect from external or internal data sources all the way to, what you want to do with that data. Is it operational analytics? Is it ML? Is it, you know, whatever that is? Uh, or right. is it going to go feed into a reverse ETL and then follow a whole other, uh, you know, business workflow? Um, then you really, if you really did follow that workflow and the logic of that workflow, um, you can, as a data leader, uh, deduct what kind of tools you need to get there, right? So say, for example, you collect data from Salesforce, um, you need to store that data somewhere to be able to, you know, use it for a reporting um, dashboard or something like that. Then you know that at a minimum, you need some form of integration tool, whether that's done in in script, you know, or with a fully managed tool or with an open source solution or whatever, but you need that, right? You need some form of ETL, ELT uh, process as well. So you can, um, you know, transform the data so you can make it uh, into uh schemas and, and and models and forms and shapes that make sense for the users later on um, you know that your main use case is is reporting so you need some form of visualization visualization sorry um tool or something that can actually translate that into yeah. insight. so it really depends if you're and, and i and, and obviously you know being actively like i i speak to a variety of organizations on multiple sizes and multiple data maturity levels all day every day um, there is yeah. really no one-size-fits-all. I speak to some organizations who are 1,000% focused on machine learning. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, these often are this often is the case for like you know some industries like health, um, insurance, um, you know, some hedge funds, etc., where the primary use case is to build predictive models, is to build you know very robust machine learning models, etc., that are part of almost the offering of the company. Um, in which case it doesn't it doesn't make sense for them to have a BI tool or it doesn't even make sense for them to, you know, invest in reverse ETL or what have you. Like their primary use case is machine learning. Um, and so it it really depends. There is no there's really no one size fits all. I I'm sorry it's probably not the answer you were expecting, but um there's really no
0: yeah it's like a no i our think...
2: approach to building a
0: data stack <laughs> 100% <laughs> and that's what you know all the leaders who, who are in this space they know the space very well that you can't have like a perfect modern data stack and this will keep evolving over time like what do you see like 2 years back it was completely different and what do you see right now is completely different and maybe the next 2 years you might see completely different in terms of those but it it is just that those who feel the fit they use it that way and they that's like the modern data stack for them so 100% Absolutely. agreed. I guess you've you've shared some amazing insights here Salma on the modern data stack so thanks for that uh, before we move on to a little questions uh, a by the questions way sorry
2: way, yeah. yeah just want to add something very quickly um yeah. I think we did write a blog article in the past uh where I reflected over my experience building a data stack uh, that your audience can find. I think we can link it uh, where we yeah. gave like a, a framework of what are the must have tools depending on different stages of maturity. So that could be something um, if, oh, wow. if, uh, if the folks tuning in are interested in, in, in reading.
0: No, I'm sure they might be interested. What I can do is I'll just share the link to the blogs and folks can actually go out and learn more about.
2: Yeah, I'll me. I can actually put it in the comments.
0: Yeah, sure. That would be. Or I can
2: just send it to you directly. Later.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And here we go. So folks who are joining us can actually learn more about it through the blog, uh, through these blogs, obviously. And I follow Salma very closely on TDS, uh, but uh, also those are available on the Cipla blog, so you can go and learn more about it. Uh, before we take a few questions from the audience, Salma, uh, mm-hmm. let's go and announce our first winners and see who have won the Siffle uh, uh, swag. For those who have joined us late, you could actually type in hashtag Siffle. This is like the first draw that we're doing. We might actually do more draws. So feel free to type in hashtag Siffle in the chat. And here we go. I hope it doesn't pick me. I'm just... <laughs> uh, for, for an example, I've just put it out there, though I love the swag. And the winner is So, Androgen, congratulations!
2: Congratulations! Um, we'll be brought. Somebody, yeah. Somebody from our marketing team, or I don't know, Ravit, if you'll do directly, we'll get in touch to arrange for shipping and everything.
0: Exactly. So that's what we're gonna do. And uh, before we go, so this is from you. We'll follow up. You can uh, always ping me on LinkedIn. I can uh you also have my email uh out there on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect. We'll get the ball rolling. And obviously, the uh, the raffle doesn't stop here. For those who joined us late, you can actually type in hashtag Sifle and. Uh, the count there will keep increasing of the entries and we actually going out and drawing more of these. So let's keep them coming in. Uh, Here are a few questions, one from YouTube. Uh, Here from Dakshkin Vasara. What is the best way to start a career in data observability? Wow, this is the first I've heard such a question because now it's such a hot uh, area or space, I would say. But what's your take on this, uh, Salma? Yeah,
2: does it? The, um, I I want to take a follow up question. Do you mean like starting a data observability company, or like becoming involved in the data observability space as like a you know like a leader in data governance at an organization, or a data quality analyst at an organization, or even data ops?
0: Yeah. So I, from where I see, obviously, uh, this could be more career specific. So more around yeah. getting into as a professional and, you know, doing sure. the right quality check for the data. What's your take on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's really a wonderful question. And and listen, data observability is such a new and emerging category that even like the the whole definition and, and what it means can vary depending on who you speak to. Um, And what I would say, though, is that even though you know the term is new, and 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 the, the you know the there's a lot of new technologies emerging in the space and whatnot, um, the problems that we're trying to solve, at least from Siflet's perspective, are not new. You know, like data quality issues yeah. have been around for as long as as data and 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 data infrastructure and tooling as an industry has been around, right? So everybody is familiar with problems around, you know, what can happen if you have a high rate of duplication, everybody has done some form of data profiling. Uh, when you're a data practitioner, um, everybody knows that when some software engineer changes something, it can cause a schema change or something like that. So um, there is no like reinvention of the wheel per se. Um, it's just that the framework around what the solution is, is something that is relatively new and it's something that is still under construction, if that makes sense. So my advice to you, um, is the name Daksh?
1: Yeah, Daksh, is right?
2: Okay, so my advice to you, Daksh, hi, lovely to meet you, thank you for tuning in. Uh, my advice to you is to uh, continue to educate yourself and learn about the topic and the industry as it uh, as it takes form and as it continues to shape. Uh, and I think there's a lot of wonderful people in the space um, Ravid being one of them who share a lot of good insights uh, on the topic, and 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 uh, and and yeah, and, and, and like anything else in in, uh, in the data engineering space, more broadly speaking, um, there's a lot of knowledge sharing, and there's a lot of good, uh, you know, uh, just knowledge sharing in general among the community. So uh, I'm sure you'll find you'll find your favorite data influencers, and, and and follow them for, for advice.
0: Yeah, I think 100% agreed there, Salma, in terms of, you know, there's so much learning out there in this space. There are so many thought leaders and you being one of them, because you've always been talking so much about data observability, about data quality, reliability, and why is it important? So I would say, Daksha, actually follow Salma. If you want to get the right insights, go and read (laughs) our articles. (laughs) Those are fantastic. So thanks for that question, Daksha. We'll jump onto another one very quickly. Your... Uh, from Aditi, so where did the name Siflé come from? Oh,
2: thank you, Aditi, for this question. Um, so Siflé means whistle in French, right? Mm. And initially, we knew when we were building the company, we knew that uh, there was going to be some form of alerting in the tool. So we send alerts when there's an anomaly that we detect. Um, and that's where you know the Siflé came from. We wanted you know our tool to be like the referee of the data within organization.
0: Okay. That's pretty cool. Whistle in French, I remember. Yeah.
2: And actually, <laughs> if you look closely, our logo has an actual whistle in it.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's a whistle. That's a so true. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Uh, let's take this one from Dustin very quickly. Uh, you mentioned how many of the fundamental data challenges that data observability addresses are longstanding. In your opinion, why is it that data observability has started to get such so much attention lately? Very interesting question.
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, Dustin. Um, So, I mean, data observability as a framework or as a category, as I said, it did emerge in the past couple of years, right? Uh, And I think a lot of vendors in the space have done a fantastic job at educating the market and bringing more light to this new term that is data observability. The reality is um, observability is a concept that is not new. It comes from software. And actually, even before that, it comes from control theory. Um, And observability in software is what companies like Datadog, New Relics, et cetera, have uh, built over the decade and have evangelized the whole market and and created the whole DevOps persona around the category. Um, And and observability in software um, is really the concept of uh, collecting as many signals as possible from different parts of different applications and cloud-based applications um, and translating those signals into... Uh, insights that make sense for software engineers so that they can get a grip um, of uh, get a grasp of the health of their application so that they can get ahead of downtime right um, now um, there is two main factors I would say that have contributed to this explosion of the term data observability over the past couple of years um, first of all um, the whole modern data stack movement, And what I alluded to earlier about how data infrastructure and tooling has has been through a a whole or has lived through a whole revolution over the past five years or so um, is a lot to thank there because although uh, data quality and data reliability is a problem that's been around for ages, um, solving the problem is now becoming actually easier than before thanks to all the new tools and technologies that have emerged Um, in the whole data stack and data infrastructure and tooling ecosystem that's made observability even feasible. You know what I mean? Um, And and, and and I'll give you an example in that. So, for example, um, like how we do observability at CFLA. So, we build our framework around three main pillars, which are metrics, logs, and lineage. Uh, The same way Mm -hmm. in software observability, the frameworks are built around metrics, logs, and traces. Um, So, at CFLA, we collect, uh, you know, a whole set of metrics from applications uh, we collect the logs of these applications, um, and we look at the lineage between, you know, the data assets and, and, uh, and, and the different, uh, you know, com- components of and data objects. Um, and we try to collect all these signals across the whole data stack and across different applications of the data stack and different compartments of the data stack and translate them into insights that make sense for data engineers and data consumers um, so that they can have a good idea about the health status of their uh, data applications and for their data and their metadata, right? Um, Now, um, because the modern data stack has allowed, you know, vendors like Sifle to collect logs from applications to uh, map out the metadata to, I mean, we don't have to go and look at on-premise infrastructures anymore. We don't have to go and look at, you know, Hadoop-like infrastructures we don't have to go and scrap java or something like that Um, it has made it relatively easier to come up with a framework for data observability and actually solve the problem for this modern cloud-based hosted services that are the modern data stack
0: okay this is yeah
2: but i want to say i want to just uh point out something very important here i'm not saying that um you know Data observability is something that's only for the modern data stack, and any organization that uses data suffers from data quality issues, right? It's just that for you know in in this environment that we're in, and 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 this whole data and infrastructure industry, a lot of tools are now making it uh, feasible for the modern data stack technologies. If that makes sense, and I think that's why data observability started getting so much attention uh, lately.
0: Okay, that's amazing. I think uh, those are really great insights because you've not only just spoken about why it is important but at the same time why it has got so much attention lately at the same time and dustin agrees with that this is such a great explanation of that thank you dustin so, i appreciate that thanks for that uh also a quick uh question from kate here hey kate nice to see you are we doing a whistle giveaway today <laughs> so,
2: oh you know where do i this is uh, the mug that's in the giveaway as well. So it says, um, wow. I think this one says, keep calm and push to production. Oh, wow, uh, so cool. We did think, I think we're going to be making another batch of, of, uh, of goodies and we'll, we'll make sure to send them to the Ravid Show viewers, uh, which will be an actual physical whistle. Oh,
0: wow, so cool. Actually, we. <laughs> I, I think we owe
2: it to ourselves
0: yeah i and what we're also doing is uh, I've shared a link with them where they can actually see all this the player, uh, you know the bag, the pen, and uh, the, obviously the cool mug. so which is very cool. i I really love the swag that you guys have you know it come up great. with in uh, those are very creative stuff that you guys have done. okay, mm-hmm. quickly going back to obviously in your introduction, I know you m- mentioned about uh, data practice. So, I wanted to learn more about uh, what were how did your initial days look like when you were, you know, actually building the data, building data practice out there? How, how was that experience?
2: Yeah. Um, so, just as a like, I, I'd say like a couple of introductory words about my background, how I ended up building a data practice. Um, so, I did study, like I do have a software engineering and an applied math and statistics background, right? Uh, but yes. I was a business leader when I started, uh, you know, leveraging data. So I, I kind of already had technical knowledge, um, but more importantly, I knew what uh, the business was requiring, and I knew what the business expectations were as far as data uh, was uh, to be able to predict what the technology needed should be should look like i think we lost you for a second Ravit. okay
0: no i was i was just backstage i was fixing the my uh, okay um,
2: good. Yeah. sure so uh, that said when i so when i uh, so i i had uh, leadership over you know a team that was responsible for selling and reporting and 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 you know selling financial products to investor um institutional investors like hedge funds and whatnot. Um, yeah. and, um, and we realized that with my team that a lot of the interactions we had with different stakeholders internally and even between us and with you know stakeholders externally like clients, regulator, et cetera, um, were based on gut feeling and what we think we should do and what we think the business should look like. Um, and me being like a you know a mathematician by design, when people tell me, I think, without telling me that there's a the data that supports it, like that just doesn't, you know, like that's, that's all it sorts of well. um <laughs> combined in one. And so I knew that we had this very um, tech savvy team of software engineers that were looking after the infrastructure and that were, you know, managing everything as as far as data infrastructure goes for us. Um, but the, the knowledge and, and the users of data was was um, reserved to that very small group of very technical people. So the idea was really to uh, create a bridge, like an intelligence layer that could help democratize that knowledge, um, democratize mm-hmm. data, and democratize the data infrastructure at the same time. Um, and so the early days of, you know, trying to uh, build that data practice were, first of all, a lot of business discussions in trying to, even like lobby internally and convince internal stakeholders that we do need this and we need to invest in this and we need to be data driven and we need to um you know use data to back everything that we say and all the decisions that we make Um, and without going into too much detail because it is a you know it is a confidential topic and then i used to work for a, a, a bank um but uh but yeah it was in the early days it was just a lot of building uh, the business use case and I think this is where a lot of data, data data leaders sorry get it wrong and I and I and I sit through so many meetings and conversations today where you know clients and prospective customers tell me about how they got it wrong in their in their data practice. I think a lot of data leaders, go straight to the technology choices and straight to let's get that tool and this tool is trendy let's get it that um uh, tool looks um you know uh, oh they have a pay-as-you-go plan let's take it and 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 they or this or god forbid this is open source we love open source let's take it um and without really having a clear understanding of the business purpose behind all of this right like data needs to do something data needs to lead to a business purpose data is going to be presented to another human to help a process to drive exactly. a certain business operation to improve something right so taking the business out of the equation and just diving straight to technology choices uh, is a mistake that i see being made far too often um, and I think that's what helped me initially make a lot of shortcuts in my case. Because when we sat down with my, um, you know, with my management and with other business leaders, we knew exactly what we wanted out of the data platform. And um, it was a matter of going like, okay, do we build this? Do we buy this? Do we hire this guy? Do we need that kind of skill set, et cetera? But it was primarily... Sorry, my dog is going crazy. It was primarily nice. driven uh, by by business initiatives and, and business objectives.
0: Okay. This is uh, amazing. I think uh, you've given us good ground in terms of how it started. And then obviously, you've given us a good flavor of how, the, how companies are now looking and how the leaders are now looking at just being data-driven and focusing more on the trendy stuff. But how... You know, my curious question that comes to my mind is how did this help you understand the importance of data reliability to ensure the adoption of a data driven culture? Like where did you see it coming? And yeah. uh, I'm sure you've hit the hammer right out there with SIPLAY. So I want to learn more about that.
2: Yeah, again, it's all about linking it back to the business and what are the right. overall company objectives are. Right. Like as a, I don't know, as a CEO of a company that that's about to go public or as, you know, a CEO, founder of a startup that's trying right. to get from point A to point B, um, you have your eyes set on your business objectives and then you go and say, oh, we're going to hire a data team and they'll figure it out. Like that's not the way to, to go about it at all. Um, And I I think that the way to do it is to say, okay, this is what we expect, uh, you know, to do with data. This is what we expect to drive with data. Um, And in that case, the data team or building the data practice becomes more of a natural progression rather than just something that you do because that's what the stage of your growth says that you should do or that's what the playbook says or that's what your mm. investors say you should do um and i think when you when you go about it this way um then obviously you know what the data is going to do you have your expectations with regards to what the data team is going to achieve um and and and, and so data quality and their reliability becomes almost a given in this case because you know that if you can't trust the data then there is no investment in architecture, infrastructure, or people that's going to solve your problem and and, and make you more efficient and more data driven in general. And so I think, and and this is, and I'm speaking from experience and also from you know discussions that I get into almost every day with uh, with with you know other data and business leaders. Um, I think if you like the worst case scenario that you can get into as a business leader is when the the, the the trust around the data is eroded so bad. People are used to seeing the wrong numbers in dashboards. People mm-hmm. are used to um, not being able to trust the results of a machine learning model, or people are not very confident when it comes to, um, you know, uh, using the data in general internally. When you get to that point, um, business stakeholders start to question the existence of the data team. They start to question all the investments uh, that have been made uh, in data and in technology stacks and infrastructures um, and, and in my opinion that's the worst point you can get to as a data leader as a business leader and It all comes back to not having built the right foundation around their liability and their trust from the beginning
0: okay this is pretty pretty interesting thanks for. Sharing this, Salma. Obviously, we have more questions that are coming in. in sure, uh, keep them coming. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, one uh, comment from Dustin the need and capabilities are out there, and the data observability whistle has been blown. I so love it. Is... it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this could Thank be a good you. tagline out there. I so, know, I know. Amazing, thanks for that, Dustin. Also, uh, we have this interesting question itself uh, from Dustin that he had asked earlier. Which is more of a challenge: finding the finding and addressing all of a new customer legacy data quality or issues, or or embedding the use of your tool into their processes, culture, long term.
2: Oh, I love this question. Um, I mean, where do I even begin? I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, when we come in as you know a data observability solution, there is rarely, you know a situation where people are completely flying blind, are not doing anything to monitor the health of their data, like, that's just not mm. that's just that doesn't exist, right? Um, I think any data practitioner today is at least aware of data quality issues, at least has some initiatives in place, regardless of how manual or, you know, brittle they are, to at least get a good idea of what how accurate the data is. That said, you know often these initiatives are not scalable, and often, uh, you know they can't be uh, comprehensive, and and that's why you know there is an explosion of technologies and tools and vendors in the space, right? Um, now, yeah. depending on the stage where we come in. Um, it it becomes a balance of trying to, uh, you know, integrate with with, with what you call existing legacy um, data quality initiatives, um, but also helping, you know, the internal leaders um, evangelize the whole organization around these new concepts of data observability and what can do for an organization at scale, right? Because if the legacy data quality uh, initiatives were working, like nobody would want to move out of them. But the reality right. is they're not. And they're often very manual and they're often reliant on a, lo- a lot of tools and they often require a lot of skill sets to maintain and whatnot. And so it's it's really about striking a balance between um, what the users are comfortable with and what makes sense to them um, and uh, taking it to the next level and and bringing something in, that can answer any questions about data and that can make data liability a given, which should be for any organization. Yeah. I don't I mean, know how that's... much that answers your question. I also see that you touch down on, on culture and, and fitting into the processes long term. Um I always say that uh the number one uh reason data quality initiatives fail is because of culture and lack of you know efforts to evangelize internally. Exactly. I mean, I've seen so many situations where you know I, I, I get into discussions with the customer and they say, oh, we spent uh, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on this on this tool, but nobody's using it, and and now we don't know oh, how my. to do
1: it, about it,
2: and you know, and and when you look at it, it's, it's not the it's not the fault of the tool or the technology. It's just that you know you you buy the tool and you think that it's this magic patch and you just stick it on top of all of your problems and all of your broken things and you think that's the It's solution. not going to happen. <laughs> um, no, it works. So yeah. I, it's a lot of investment, you know, in internal literacy and internal evangelism as much as yep. it is investment in, in technology
0: exactly i think uh, you made a good point there where you know companies feel that uh, they can you know obviously customers feel that they can buy a tool and then obviously it's going to work and then the all tour. of
2: their problems will disappear <laughs> and, and listen to an extent that is true because a lot of tools are supposed to you know make data teams better at their job and faster stronger better more reliable but if you don't have the buy-in and the conviction internally and the willingness to you know do things better it's it's you know it's it's not it's not, not going to work
0: yeah that's so true you you've said so many true things today that my banner also says a yes behind me
1: there that it go. calls
0: again and again that uh, data observability <laughs> out there makes a lot of sense in uh, sarma you are there saying something which kind of makes a lot of sense so thanks for that uh, but uh, without any further ado it's time for us to do our second giveaway I already see a lot of people who have gone out and made those entries. This was our first winner. Let's uh, do the second draw. And here we go. Let's see who our second winner is. See a lot of new faces. All the best. Kate, see, you, you spoke about whistling. You spoke about giveaway. And you've won uh, the swag out there. So congratulations and uh, oh, correct sure. kate yeah so this is very cool uh, kate definitely we will be reaching out to you and i guess i have your address i can share it with sipra team and they can swag, they can ship this swag to you yeah, we will arrange uh, for everything yeah awesome very cool okay Moving ahead, uh, obviously, Salma, uh, we've seen and heard so much. Uh, also, according to Gartner, data quality is costing companies millions every year. How do you plan to help companies with this? Like, how do you tell companies that you know this is where the cost will be cut? This will be less risky. I know it's a so, it's a huge deal when you go out there and you actually want to make sure that uh, you're cutting on the cost and at the same time, you're not risking the data. Uh, How do you do that?
2: Yeah, I mean, so the number one question that I always get asked uh, literally 99.99% of the time, every time we're in a commercial discussion with the clients is, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: okay, so how do I compute the ROI of this new tool that you're bringing me, right? Um, And I think, you know, obviously like to each business comes a different you know, definition as far as the expectations from data and, and the definition of data quality goes, right? Uh, but I think there is a common thread that can be followed here in a sense that if you wanna look at how much you know, productivity or whatever it is a data observability tool or a data observability solution can bring you, then really you can look at it into, from two different angles. Um, mm-hmm. The first angle is, you know, with a set of metrics that you can quantify, and you can say this is, you know, exactly the number of hours my team spends troubleshooting, or this is what we call the time to troubleshooting, like this is the time between detecting an anomaly and and getting to the root cause of it, right? Um, and because in Cifle we power the root cause analysis mechanism as well, because we're able to we have a very powerful data lineage. Uh, mechanism that uh, that that helps even in the most complex infrastructures point directly to the root cause, um, that, you know, in a world where you don't have the tool and your data team has to go and debug data source by data source and go line by line and go through all the DAGs and stuff like that, like that's time um, that will be, uh, you know, cut down significantly using an observability tool. So that is uh, what what we call the time to troubleshooting, our time to resolution, sorry, Uh, troubleshooting time. Um, Another quantifiable metrics is the time to production. So say, for example, um, your data science team uh, is constantly building new uh, ML models for the product team or whatever, or what have you. Um, And Mm -hmm. because they have to spend a lot of time making sure that the data is of good quality, reliable, can be trusted, is up-to-date, is free of data problems, uh, that actually adds to the whole length of the project of getting from zero to data product, right? I gave the example of an ML, but it could be any data product, Mm -hmm. really. Um, And because a lot of of teams have to capture um, that data troubleshooting time, um, or data debugging time, or data cleaning time, um, that actually makes the process of uh, producing data products much longer. So you can also say, okay, now in a world where you don't have CFLA, on average, your team spends, I don't know, half of the time to produce data products, troubleshooting data to make sure that the data products are reliable. Um, in a world where you have CFLA, you know you can get the incident management or the impact relatively quickly. So that right. time is cut down by that much. Um, so this is another metric that people can look at. Um, and I know that there's been a lot of research in the topic. And I think Gartner said that data uh, scientists spend 30% or 40% of their time dealing with data quality issues because, before they create data science models or, or before they use them in the data science models and input. And uh, I think there was also something about how data engineers spend half of their time uh, troubleshooting exactly. data quality issues and getting to the root cause of the problem. So you can use metrics like this to kind of, um, you know, have an idea, a quantifiable idea of how much in data team efficiency or data team, you know, resources, data quality is costing you. And obviously, you multiply that by the salary, hourly salary, whatever you want, or a, a number of people in the team, etc. Um, so this is like, you know, like a, just a set, an example of metrics that can be used. Um, the other quantifiable element is, say, God forbid, the company, you know, had what I call a data catastrophe. So something that made mm-hmm. the news. We've seen in a in the past few months with some public companies that are really in the public domain where data quality issues uh, cost, you know, a few million dollars. Um, that's a very extreme example. But, you know, if you're... A company that that's gone through something unfortunate like that, then the return on investment of a data quality issue should be relatively straightforward to compute. Um, and then there is some non quantifiable elements or, or elements that are harder to quantify. Our yeah. um, overall uh, data adoption internally: are your business users comfortable using, uh, you know, the data products that they get from their from the data team? Um, are your stakeholders happy with uh, what they get from the data team? Um, is trust around the data restored within the organization? Are people in general um, you know, confident in the insights that they see in a BI dashboard because they know that the data is reliable and there is no issues? Um, I was in a situation in the past uh, where the team would rather not use the data then use it, knowing that it had a high probability of being wrong. I think for oh. a business leader, that is a big problem. <laughs>
1: right? Exactly. Right. How um, can you?
2: Know? And, right, and so no, because you know we're humans, and when you get such bad experience dealing with something, you just don't want to deal with it anymore, right? And that's that's the yeah. uh, that's such a pity for a business leader because you're supposed to use and like you're supposed to incentivize people to become data driven. Um, and then there is other aspects like um you know i one of our customers actually uh, we published their case study uh, recently um said to, said something to me that, that that really was very surprising he said that because now we have an observability tool um the nps of our data products has increased internally like the the perceived wow. value of the data products has increased internally and, and i think that's such a wonderful statement because you know, it's something that you can't quantify, but you, you can see the impact of it uh, in the interactions with the data team and around the data team. And I think that's very crucial. So yeah. there's a variety of, uh, and there's no, again, there's no specific way to compute this. You can use a mix of quantifiable and non-quantifiable metrics to get to an idea of what you expect as far as, as a return on investment for a data observability initiative.
0: Okay. This is pretty interesting. And those are great insights. Obviously, it's like uh, the little secret sauce. What do you use and how you obviously make sure that the companies uh, feel more confident and you make sure that those are coming in. Those are like the right ROIs for the companies as well if they invest in supply. And that's how you're helping companies to make sure that obviously data quality is uh, the cost is being saved, it's less ris- less riskier out there and uh, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that uh, Salma. Uh, also that brings me to a very, very important question in uh, which I've been hearing uh, from Sifle a lot, uh, that is around uh, full stack uh, data observability. And uh, yeah. I'm kind of, you know, obviously super interested to learn more about uh, that. Uh, but uh, before we jump into that, obviously, I also want to know that how is Siflet's approach uh, different and um, like, obviously then what is full data stack observability and how do you look at that?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Um whole data stack observability is really the DNA of Sifflet. That's uh, that's our approach, data observability, and, and we didn't nice. want to uh, take any different routes because uh, we believe that both data consumers and, and data engineers should be involved in, in the whole process about uh, making sure data reliable is trustworthy. And I think the num- also yeah. the number one reason data quality initiatives don't succeed because there is no internal evangelism, the number two reason data quality initiatives don't succeed is because there's just too many silos. And Mm -hmm. so by making sure that a data observability tool can provide insights that can be relevant to both the producers and the consumers of data is crucial for the data observability tool to be used. right? Um, I think we can share a slide that... um, that explains yeah. uh, the the Sifflet approach and why we call it uh, and why we call ourselves the full data stack observability platform. So and it. really, Cifley is a is a top of stack layer. So we connect to all the logos you can see here. Uh, we have connectors built across the whole data stack, um, and we extract uh, metadata, metrics, and logs from all the applications that you can see here. And we reverse engineer that using our own algorithms internally uh, to provide insights that make sense for both data producers and data consumers. Uh, Practically speaking, how did that work? So, um, and that's why we we call ourselves full data stack because we are not focusing only on just data at the warehouse or just data in the pipelines or you know just warehouse to BI. Um, we, we really cover the the whole spectrum of the data stack because we want to be we want our tool to be our, our connectors to be as uh, present as the data is or the metadata data and the metadata is within the organization. Um, and so, practically speaking, how does that look? Um, so, Sifle can do anomaly detection across all stages of uh, data, whether it's in you know uh, transformation layer, orchestration layer. Um, in the data warehouse, uh, pre, post production, at rest, in motion, whatever. I think different people have different definitions for each stages of the data. Um, so we do anomaly detection across all of that. Um, and, and anomaly detection, you know, we use a set of metrics. You know, we look at, uh, I think we have over 50 templates um, wow. where we look at things like freshness, completeness, duplication, like the basic stuff, but we also some more advanced um, statistical metrics. Um, and then okay, we do anomaly detection, that's great, right? Um, but you get an alert from c or another tool that does anomaly detection and tells you, hey, something is wrong. What do you do with that information? Mm-hmm. Right? And and that's where I think most, again, data pure or traditional data quality initiatives fail because ultimately, like cybersecurity, it just becomes too many noise and too many, too much noise and too many alerts. And ultimately people just start, you um, Ignoring those alerts because there is no action that can be taken on behalf of those alerts. So, Siftly's approach is first send you the alert, the alerts, but more importantly, give you the context that you need, depending on where you sit within the value chain or the value or the value or the data value chain. Um, insights that can that can make sense to you. So, for a data producer or a data engineer or um, infrastructure engineer. Um, Siftleak gives a whole root cause analysis report um, that tells you exactly where the issue is coming from, whether it's a you know it's a data issue, whether it's a code issue, whether it's an infrastructure issue, uh, whatever that might be, because there's a whole variety of things that can break in a in a data uh, in a, in a modern data ecosystem. Um, so that's inside that makes sense for a data engineer, but doesn't make sense for the analyst or a data consumer necessarily, right? Uh, But Mm -hmm. at the same time, we send, uh, you know, what we call incidence management uh, and post-mortem reports for data consumers with how uh, the anomaly is impacting their workflows, uh, what are the impacted data assets, uh, what's the correlation between different assets, who from data engineering is looking into it, what's the ETA, is there a Jira ticket, etc. So it, it provide a whole lot of, um, of insights to both types of personas um, to make sure that uh, they are equipped or each one is equipped with the insights that make sense for their own workflow. Um, and with that, you close the loop really across the whole stack, and that's why we call it nice. whole data stack. Um, by the way, uh, we do uh, live demos every six weeks, and there is one on Thursday. Uh, Very cool. uh I think it's a six pm uh, Paris time, nine am Pacific time. Um, if if anybody is curious to see the product in in in, uh, in a live demo, feel free to tune in.
0: Okay, that's pretty cool. And uh, uh, do we have like a sign-up page or something where folks can actually go and sign up?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me share it here, actually.
0: Very cool. So it's not limited to just this. You actually go and do the live stuff and tell people this is how it's done, which is very cool because that kind of, you know, obviously answers a lot of questions for the audience as well. That They, they kind of obviously get a sneak peek into what you've built so, which is yeah. super cool.
2: Yeah, of course. And it's also, you know, a good opportunity for us to uh, get live feedback and share any exciting new things in the roadmap or any new features that's been released. So, we, we have a lot of fun doing those.
0: Okay. That's pretty cool. I've shared the link with our audience. Uh, for those who are looking out, feel free to uh, jump in and uh, go for the live one. It's just nearby happening uh, there and Salma will be happy to help. Uh, but this also takes me to a very, you know, first of all, great explanation and thanks for bringing this up. I have obviously seen it. I've, I I have loved this, uh, you know, complete chart, the data stack that you put together and how you've explained it, Salma. And uh, it's out there, uh, guys. You can actually check this place Uh, blog which I shared and you can learn more about it but this brings me uh, obviously to an important question which is uh, if you have to actually sum up all of this and uh, you know talking about data observability full data stack observability obviously the pillars that you spoke about the software observability how, what are the different ways in which it can act as a firefighter like what do you think could make that change.
2: Yeah. Um, again, you know, depending on how you define your own framework for data observability, and I'm not saying that everyone should go and get a tool like Sifle. actually everyone should go and get a tool like Sifflet. Um but, uh, but you know, at least some basic uh, pipeline testing, you know, data profiling, some basic anomaly detection frameworks, should be put in place ideally at the very early stages of the company data maturity before it becomes too late um, but uh, but th- th- really the only way to go from firefighting when it comes to data problems uh, to uh, you know a state of fire prevention um, is to have something you know that can give you the lineage end to end the way we do and so you can see how the impact of Something simple as a schema change, or something you know, as simple as a you know a code being pushed from the software engineering team, to see the potential impact of that on the downstream workflow right. before somebody goes and presses you know merge or whatever that is, and it creates a whole sort of problems downstream that um, really data consumers are going to be uh, you know exposed to and and won't have any. Uh, you know, heads up. So really the only way to go into firefighting mode is to have something that can help you get ahead of data quality issues by having like a clear lineage of all or clear like mapping of all the dependencies between the data assets. um, So you can know how pre-post-production data is related.
0: Okay, that's pretty cool and uh, good analogy there. Also, uh, I know we are uh, up and are but... uh, if people you know this is a very interesting session you have shared so much we have covered a good ground I know for a fact where I can talk to you for another one hour and uh, we'll get more insights uh, but that I'll obviously keep it for another session I I know sure. for a fact we'll be doing a 2.0 session and we'll be making sure that we are covering a good ground there for our audience but if you know, people want to learn in uh, more about Siflé, about what are you doing, Salma. Uh, where can they reach out to you and learn more about it?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, so they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm at Salma the Cook. Uh, Medium at Salma bekook Twitter at Salma bekook um, Or they can send me an email uh, to Salma at SifleData.com. Um and uh yeah very happy to debate any of the points that we discussed today at length with any of your viewers who's
0: interested for a follow-up okay pretty cool uh thanks for that Uh, one last time we'll do the raffle and we'll wrap up so for those who have actually participated we have 11 more entries let's do this and here we go let's see I know they could be repetitive. If that, if that happens, we'll go again for the raffle. but uh, hope that doesn't happen. Sonia Kinvasra. Congratulations, from YouTube. Sonia. Congratulations. Thanks for participating, everyone. And uh, thanks uh, Salma once again for visiting the Rabbit shop. I am sure the audience have Learned so much today and you've shared some amazing insights. Thank you everyone for uh, participating and asking interesting questions to Salma. Uh, Until next time, uh, good night and have a nice day.
2: Thank you everyone. Bye-bye. Thank Thank you everyone.
0: Bye.